The New Testament reading is taken from the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your servant, Tim. We thank you for his life, O Lord, and his, uh, his obedient and faithful heart to you. And we pray, Lord, that you would graciously help Tim today as he leads us in your word and that you grant to all of us, O Lord, hearts that are uh, tilled soil, ready to receive the seed of your word today. And Lord, may now yours be the glory and may yours be the honor. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Good afternoon. So this afternoon, our text is Ephesians 3, 1 to 13. And this passage is often overlooked in the midst of the grandeur of the surrounding texts. The high and glorious theology of Ephesians 1, the brilliant summary of the gospel in Ephesians 2, and the rich and intimate prayers in Ephesians 1 and 3. And as I started looking into this passage, I thought of our Christ Church Young Adults Bible Study. So if you spend any time with us, you may have heard the acronym CCYABS, or CCYABS for short. And if you're not a young adult, you probably are a little curious about what goes on every Thursday evening at the Barnett residence. Now, I don't want to give away all our secrets, uh, but one of the unique characteristics of CCYABS is that when we study the Bible, we encourage and follow rabbit trails. We try to address most of the questions that are brought up being willing to occasionally take the scenic route in order to apply the gospel to a variety of topics. This is part of the reason why our first Corinthian study is projected to end in 2019. <laughs> but as I began to prepare this sermon, I realized that the text before us is a bit of a rabbit trail. It's a bit of an aside. Paul begins a thought and then he puts it on pause for 12 verses. However, this rabbit trail is not random, arbitrary, or unimportant nor is it unrelated to its context. In fact, Paul uses this detour to summarize some of what he's been teaching thus far, to zoom out a little bit and take a look at the big picture. These few verses address many heavy topics in Ephesians, glory, suffering, 
Paul's calling in life and ministry, the church, and God's eternal wisdom and purpose. But the main theme and topic of this text before us that unites all these elements is the mystery. The mystery of the gospel. The mystery of Christ. So this afternoon we'll be pulling out our forensic kits, we'll be putting on our spectacles and our trench coats, and we'll be doing some detective work, joining Paul as he delves into the mystery of the gospel. And just like in the board game a Clue, there are three questions that Paul answers for us in this text today. So let's keep our Bibles open in front of us and begin. Question one, where did the mystery come from? What is its origin? The first five verses address this question. Our detective work begins with Paul. He introduces the mystery as fresh revelation. You can feel the suspense rising. He explains that those in other generations did not understand the mystery. However, it's now been unveiled to God's holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This points to the foundational role of the apostles and prophets in the early church and also to the role of the Holy Spirit. This mystery is groundbreaking. It's pushing the frontiers of the early church's knowledge. The new covenant brings about a fuller, more explicit understanding of the purposes of God. And Paul reminds his readers that this is not something he made up. It's not his own original inspiration or act of creativity as our world so highly values. No, Paul is defending his credibility by reminding the church of Ephesus that the knowledge he's imparting on them is straight from the source. God has revealed his divine truth to the apostles and prophets, and Paul's role gives him the authority to proclaim the unveiling of the mystery. Through Paul, God's secrets are disclosed to his people. So question one, where did this mystery come from? This mystery has been hidden for ages in God, verse nine, but has now been revealed through Paul and the other apostles and prophets. Question two, what is the mystery? And the answer to this question is found in verse six. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Let's flip back to chapter two, verse 11. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This was the Ephesians. They're Gentiles, non-Israelites, aliens to God, without hope, sentenced to eternal hell. There's no worse place to be, dead in your sin, guilty of treason against the Holy One, and under his righteous wrath. And unlike the Jews, they had no hope, no hope for Messiah who had come to save them. However, the tables turn, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Paul brings them good news. The gospel is for you, for all nations. Christ did not only die for Israel, but for Rome and Ephesus, Argentina and Nigeria, Sweden and New Zealand. He died for the multicultural heavenly kingdom of Israel, the church. The cross, the blood of Christ, 
This was the instrument of this reconciliation. When Christ died, the curtain in the temple separating the Jews from God was torn from top to bottom. And Christ's work repaired three different kinds of broken relationships between God and Jew, between God and Gentile, and between Jew and Gentile. Jews and Gentiles alike have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Christ. And we share this inheritance, this body, and this promise. Romans 10, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The mystery of the gospel bridges this gap between us and God and between us and our neighbors, transcending racial, cultural, and geographic barriers. These are amazing truths. We should marvel at God's wisdom in accomplishing this and revealing it when the time was right. However, as Paul propagates this teaching, there's great resistance. To the Israelites, it was unthinkable that God would save those Gentiles, those evildoers. Why would God save them? This attitude is a testament to the legalism and spiritual pride of the nation of Israel at that time. These teachings of Paul raised big questions in the early church, questions about circumcision and dietary laws. We think of Paul rebuking Peter, opposing him to his face for refusing to eat with the Gentiles. But when we examine the scriptures, we can see that this has been God's plan all along. Genesis 12, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Psalm 98, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Isaiah 45, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, there is no other. It's throughout the Old Testament, but also continues into the New. Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. Acts 1, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And Revelation 7, after this I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. This theme of salvation for the Gentiles, it's not introduced in the book of Ephesians. It spans from Genesis to Revelation. It's been the plan from the very beginning, like Aslan's deeper magic from before the dawn of time. You Ephesians, you Gentiles, you sinners, you were chosen by God before the foundation of the world. This is not a shift in strategy, like the Blue Jays throwing in a relief pitcher, or like A&W rolling out the new spicy habanero chicken burger. This is always the plan. However, until this point in history, these truths have not been made plain. They've been alluded to, they've been foreshadowed, but God's plan is now being made crystal clear. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. And the unveiling of this mystery changes everything. First, we should be eternally grateful for this because we are these Gentiles as well. We who were once foreigners and strangers without hope, but can now partake in the promises of the gospel. Second, this unveiling requires a response. Here before us is a vision for global missions. It's a vision that moves us not to keep the gospel to ourselves, 
but to go to the highways and the byways and compel the most unexpected of people to come and sit at the table and taste the banquet of the Lord. There's no place for xenophobia. There's no place for culture wars in Christianity. We've been called to bring the mystery of the gospel to all nations. But how? How do we do this? This is question three. How is this mystery to be made known? So in verse seven, we turn back to Paul and his testimony. He talks about the gift of God's grace, how in the most dramatic of ways, Christ brought him from death to life, transforming him from a vicious persecutor of the church into a minister. He truly was made a minister. It was not his own idea. This grace has saved him, but also equipped him. God has prepared good works in advance for Paul to walk in. Specifically for Paul, although he considers himself the least of all the saints, he's been called to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Why is this grace, why have these gifts been given to Paul? Verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the, to the Jews, to the Gentiles, to all nations. But not only that, it's made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, to the angels who long to look into these things, who long to understand the mystery. Through the church, Christ's body, Christ's bride, the household and habitation of God, all according to God's eternal purpose realized in Christ God's billboard to display his wisdom and God's vehicle to transport the gospel to all nations. The church is God's strategy for missions, for the proclamation of the gospel to the world. Like the beacons of Gondor carrying the plea for help across Middle Earth, so the planting and building up of churches carries the gospel to all nations. And the truth is there's no dichotomy between church and missions. You cannot have one without the other. The Great Commission is given to the church. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, baptizing and teaching, bringing new sheep into the folds and building up the flock, both locally and globally. We see this in the early church. We see Paul request prayer from and pray for believers all over the region. We see Paul direct finances from one church to another. As brothers and sisters in Christ, they bore each other's burdens. And going back to verse eight, this is our mission statement at Christ Church Kelowna, proclaiming the unsearchable riches of Christ. This is not only John, this is not only preaching, although preaching is central to this mission. This is all of us, every single one, using all our various gifts and talents and resources, everything we have, to grow the body of Christ in both numbers and maturity, both here and abroad. The church, God's billboard to display his wisdom and God's vehicle to transport his gospel to all nations. The mystery is to be made known through the church. So our three questions, where is this mystery from? It was hidden for ages in God and then revealed to Paul and the apostles and prophets. What is it? It refers to the salvation of the Gentiles. And how is it made known? Through the church. What now? 
How do we respond to this? And at the close of this passage, Paul gives us a simple application. Do not lose heart. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. A few weeks ago, I began to lose heart. I was in the face of extreme suffering. You see, I had to work on a Saturday. I was at work doing some drafting, which is a little bit monotonous, and I was all alone, feeling a little lonely, so I messaged all my CC Yabs peeps and invited everyone to come hang out with me in my office, and nobody came. <laughs> and I was feeling a little bit sorry for myself. So I decided to put an end to my wallowing in despair and pulled up a sermon from a recent conference on YouTube. I turned it on, and sure enough, it was on the book of Job. And within a few short seconds, every single ounce of self-pity that I was experiencing in that moment was gone. It was completely obliterated. We get the same feeling when we read about Paul. Our problems are put into perspective. The article I posted on Facebook only got six likes. Paul got stoned. I didn't get to sail much this summer. Paul was shipwrecked three times. And Paul, as he writes Ephesians, is in prison. But he tells the Ephesians, do not lose heart. You might think it would be the other way around, that the Ephesians would be encouraging Paul not to lose heart. And maybe they were. But Paul knows that they need encouragement. Perhaps the Ephesians, with Paul in prison, were doubting God's plan. Why is this happening? Or maybe they're worried that they'll be persecuted as well for associating with Paul. But Paul addresses any discouragement that they might have. And he says, I'm not a prisoner of the Romans, although he was, I'm a prisoner of Christ. My imprisonment is not a setback. It is all part of the plan. And why am I imprisoned? For your sake. I'm suffering for you. You are the big picture. For reals, you are at the heart of the gospel the salvation of the Gentiles. The truth is the gospel has a cost. Living for Christ has a cost. Evangelism has a cost. But to Paul, it is worth it. It is so worth it. The global vision of the mystery of the gospel, proclaiming the unsearchable riches of Christ to every nation, this is what gives Paul steadfastness despite his many sufferings beyond what many of us can fathom. And this is what should give us strength as well, and perseverance for every good work, giving ourselves to the church, using our gifts to build up the body of Christ, sharing the gospel, serving God's people, the lost and the found, the local and the global, all this knowing that our labor is not in vain. This light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And our prayer at Christ Church Kelowna is that God would use us to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ, that God would take our meager efforts and multiply them to reveal his manifold wisdom to all as we proclaim our treasure hidden in a field, our pearl of great price, who motivates us to sell everything, to give up our lives for the sake of Christ that we would count all things lost compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ and being found in him.
This is our prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.